Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. This morning I learned about a piece of software called Write or Die. Does it mean anything to you, This is the thing I read about in connection with somebody. Is it uh, David David Nichols. David Nichols, Nichols, best-selling author of One Day and so forth. Uh, And he was talking at a literary festival about the problems he had with kind of writer's block right in the second book. And he adopted briefly a piece of software called Write or Die. And the way this works is that if you if you start you start writing in it, and if you don't continue writing, it begins to erase what you've written. What you've written. But so, isn't it relaxed creativity rather than utter panic? The, the kind of central mode uh, that's conducive to reasonably successful novel writing. I well, it depends. Novel writing is not like you know writing a leader in the Times, is it? But it doesn't have to be done by lunchtime. Well, except to, to be fair, Trollope used to have. A servant whose job it was to wake him up at four o'clock in the morning so he could write for three hours before he went off to be postmaster general. <laughs> so what, what a work-shy fop he was. <laughs> so he, and he wrote a lot of books. Postmaster's just arse around in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's postmaster general. Yeah, thank God the internet wasn't there. That's <laughs> so funny. In loads of ways. So I thought it was interesting, right or die, because in the piece I was reading about it, it said that... Nick Hornby also used a piece of software called Freedom. Do you know about this, Fraser? No. One of these things that blocks out the internet? Oh, OK, yeah. yeah, yeah presumably you can, you can achieve the same thing by turning off the internet. Yeah, but I think the, the point with those software packages is you cannot turn it back on. What do you mean it blocks it out? I don't understand that. Go on. It literally switches those things off, so it'll, it'll switch off your access to your browser and your email, and you'll set a time, and at that point it'll become available again. But until that point... You have no access. So you're sent, right, so you say, between two and five, yeah. I'm working on this, and I can't find out yeah. if Fraser's written a hilarious tweet or anything like that. Yeah. I can't find out anything absolutely gripping that Kevin Peterson has <laughs> said on Five Live today. Can't do that. None of that. I don't know if I could live with that. But surely most writing, again, on a very small scale, uh, most people are motivated by the idea that if I make myself finish these two paragraphs... I'll go and have a look at the internet and see if anything amusing has happened. That's the little carrot that keeps you going. Oh, you're more disciplined than I am. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I'm back and forth absolutely all the time. Can I tell you at a tangent something about literary festivals that Stephen Fry said the other day? It was so funny. (laughs) Can I just point out, this is the word podcast. It's all tangents. Oh, okay. (laughs) okay? I went to see Stephen Fry at the Soho Literary Festival talking about P.G. Woodhouse. And I couldn't have been happier because I love Stephen Fry and I adore P.G. Woodhouse. And he told this absolutely fantastic story about Woodhouse that I didn't know. Maybe you did know, but I didn't. He said Woodhouse had gone to what was effectively a literary festival. I mean, they did exist in a uh, slightly smaller scale, um, you know, back then. And he went to this literary festival. He said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, he said something like, um, I had to sit there and endure uh, for hours. He's become James Mason. <laughs> like really talk talk yeah. like Mark's dad. Yeah, Mark's dad. Talk like James Mason. 
Anybody over the age of 60. Automatically (laughs) speaks like this. And I had to sit there for hours while these people were just pontificating, (laughs) you know, an interminable length about their new novels, when a simple apology would have sufficed. Which is really funny. The idea being that nobody at these festivals had written a decent book apart from P.G. Woodhouse. It's probably true. You know, Woodhouse's Woodhouse's, uh, advice to young writers... Oh, the application. First apply yeah. the seat of the trousers to the surface of the chair. Absolutely right. And, of course, he did it, didn't he? Yeah. He just got up... Well, they, Robert, Robert... What's his name? Robert McCrum wrote that really good biography of Woodhouse. I think Paul Denoy reviewed it yeah. in The Word. I think he, he did. did. I read and it. Paul it's said, fantastic. It's a really interesting point, because nobody can ever remember Woodhouse ever saying anything funny, apart from that thing that you quoted, you know, via Stephen well, Fry, although he probably wrote it. He probably, he probably wrote, wrote it, it actually, rather than saying. I don't think he did. And, and no, go on, what were you going to say? So, because you know, Paul said that the interesting thing about the McCrum biography was it's a man is about a man who spent his life typing, and he did. That's what he well, did. Well, he Every did. Morning. He, uh, uh, a key thing in that biography that I learned about him was that he used to travel to. <laughs> he used to travel to America by ship or whatever it would be. The Queen Mary in those days. I I suppose, yeah. And he did, it took about five days, and he did it deliberately so that nobody could telephone him. So no agents, no press people, no publishing, no editors. Nobody could get hold of him, and he would sit there and write the entire time. And then every now and again, allow himself a stroll around the promenade deck. Yeah, yeah. And that he couldn't have been happier. And the other interesting thing about Woodhouse, which struck me actually during this um, thing, and in fact, I asked a question to Stephen Fry to see if he knew what the answer might be, because it suddenly struck me how fascinating it was that Woodhouse, who is by definition the hardest working man, literally uh, in, in, in living memory, isn't he? Admittedly, he didn't go and run a post office in the afternoons, but he still did a lot of work. Um, you know, never happier when he was working, did not go out and socialise very much, maybe had a cocktail in the evenings and then just got up early and got on with the next book, wrote, I think, 93 novels, am I right, was it 91? Woodhouse, the same Woodhouse, was absolutely fascinated and indeed obsessed with a class of people who were work-shy, aristocratic, (laughs) idle, (laughs) bone-idle, mostly largely unemployable. (laughs) And yet he was simply fascinated by those people and, and, um, you know, pumped loads of helium into their world to make it sound even more famous than it was. At no point does he sound like he's having a go at them or thinks they should be doing something more worthwhile. I thought it was quite interesting. He had a very uh, disciplined life, though, didn't he? he He used to write all day, then he'd answer his fan mail, and he got lots. And he'd take it down the post office and post it. And then he'd come back, do it right a bit more, and then have a large martini. A large martini? Yes. You know, so the Incredible. day he was aiming towards. He Incredible. lived on Long Island in some style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the day, he was obviously just sitting there, typing away, thinking, in two hours' time, I'm going to have... Your, the olive will, will be the dropping. The olive will be dropping at this <laughs> the, 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 the well-shod hoof will be pouring for the, for the brass rail. <laughs> Wasn't that what he said? Uh, but, uh, I, again, sorry, oh, another, God, another tangent. The word, the word fan mail um, just reminded remind me of um, another, um, another collection of unbelievably hard-working people. I interviewed Bob Geldof uh, about two weeks ago, and he told me a fantastic story about going to see the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan at the, gosh, what was he called now? The Adelphi Theatre in uh, Dublin. He went to see the Beatles when I think he was uh, 11 and the Stones when he was 13 and, and Dylan when he was, I think, 15 or whatever. And he said he managed to get into the Beatles. It wasn't their dressing room, but he and his elder sisters just charged into the hotel and thought, where will the Beatles be staying? It must be staying on the top floor, the biggest suite. They managed to get up there, managed to get into the room. John Lennon wasn't there, but the other three Beatles were there. And what were they doing, Dave? Between the matinee and the evening show, they were answering fan mail. <laughs> Can you imagine it? I mean, this isn't that astonishing, like something out of help. Isn't that what they did in help? You'd think, for God's sake, they'd just done a kind of, you know, 45-minute show. They've got another one to do. You'd think they'd be just, I don't know, asleep or drinking yeah, beer yeah. or something. They were dutifully answering handwriting. Well, that's responses. one of the amazing things Incredible. about the Mark Lewison book, isn't it, is that the evidence of you know, when they wrote back to fans or people they knew in Liverpool or whatever in the early days. Although, even later on, 
you know, look at all John Lennon's postcards are all over the world, aren't they? Oh, incredible. Because he wrote postcards for oh, absolutely too. everybody. But also, he had got the advantage that anyone getting a postcard from John Lennon after about it was going to keep it, I think. <laughs> yeah, They're not going to throw that away. I've got to say, while you're, it's, it's all tangents on the word, word podcast. While you mentioned Brass Rail, yeah. I, I was thinking of the Brass Rail this week because I saw, I watched for the first time, Ken Burns, three-part st- series about prohibition. Have you ever seen this? You know, Ken Burns, the great American documentary maker. Yeah, yeah. Who made the Civil War and so forth. And uh, he made a three-part thing about prohibition, about the history of prohibition, which was absolutely... It was a revelation to me. Loads of stuff I didn't know. And, of course, the brass rail was the, was the key thing about it because drinking all took place in saloons. In the, you know, so what is the what, what is the reason for the brass rails? That's well, fascinating. I never thought about that. Well, I don't know. That's just what they did. They they stood there and they put their foot on the brass rail. But the point is that drinking took place in saloons, and saloons didn't admit women. And so guys would go straight from work to the saloon, you know, to hide from wife and children and responsibility, <laughs> whatever. Get absolutely, you know, stocious. Spend all the money then go home and, and kind of mistreat the family and so forth, you know. And so that's why Prohibition was apparently was a, was a wave that went through America that was driven by women and then and then the repeal of Prohibition was equally driven by women. It's an absolutely fascinating... Why fascinating, was the repeal of, uh, driven by women? Because they, they didn't want their house to the house anymore. They were much happier when he wasn't there. Yeah, they had ten, years of, ten years of crime and corruption and, you know... Lack of candor between the government and the citizenry, and all kinds of things. You know, they just thought this will not help. Well, the but it's an absolutely fascinating because the temperance society in this country was driven by women. Exactly yeah. the same thing. Women had seen, you know, homes wrecked, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah well-meaning souls in the yeah. middle classes. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not just well, not just no. the middle class. My my father, I think, when my father died, we, you know, you always, you would get out the tin trunk or whatever. You always find all the documents and so forth. And that we found that he was signed up to the Rechabites when he was very young. And the Rechabites were one of these temperance organisations. Sworn off. Yes. Sworn off. Cause, and, and their theme tr- song was, I think, My Drink is Water Bright. Oh, no, water no, no, they had a song they had to sing. Oh, at what age what? was he signed up? So he's given a little contract young, saying, yeah. you've understood, so-and-so Hepworth will never touch brought, a drop yeah, of alcohol and yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. all that stuff was... Your drink is water bright, it, all the best. Incredibly strong in society. You know, it's like, uh, well, the girls' song was, uh, you know, lips that touch liquor shall never touch mine. No. I think that narrows it down a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> they probably... <laughs> They probably are on Spotify. Oh, I'm going to start a temperance playlist. So the only people can go out with are recovering see if, alcoholics. <laughs> see if I get any take up on it. God almighty. So, That's fantastic. So what have we got to talk about? You want to talk about your... What you, you got a mouse problem. Oh, I can talk if you want me to talk about it. It's just, it's just uppermost in my mind. Uh, Fraser. Fraser loves Fraser loves cats. Fraser's produced a very very successful high selling book about cats, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure about the high selling. Yeah, it was. Now, now, <laughs> let me just, can I just say I'm going to make this very brief. I've got a major cat problem, okay? And the cat problem is this: cats have a job, Fraser. Their job is not they're not just there simply to suck up huge quantities of cash. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it just you know, in terms of of you know, um, um, crab and prawn, seafood platter in a rich gravy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is produced in a highly expensive, squeezable pouch. Right? <laughs> this and, and in our house, I have to tell you, organic cat litter. It's not just cat litter; it's organic. Oh my! I say to my wife, "Why? Why?" You know, it costs a fortune. Why is that cat there? Okay, she's meant to sit there and look pretty and be a tremendous companion later, but she meant to catch mice. Now, I don't want to, you know, bring the area of West London that I live in, Chiswick, into distribute, but there's quite a lot of mice, right? Now, two years ago, she stopped catching mice, right? So you'd see a mouse run across, and she'd sit there. And, in fact, to be honest, they know then she's 50, she's 17. They knew she's a bit past it. They'd come out, make very obvious rude gestures behind her back. Do you know what I mean? And then they'd scuttle back under the fridge or whatever. And you'd think, this is ridiculous. So I had a real word with her, and I said, you have got to start catching mice. That's why you're here. Read my lips, right? That's why I pay all this money on these bloody pouches full of seafood. Catch some mice. 
The next day, what then happened? I discovered that the mice had completely taken over the shed, right? I'd gone in there and opened up the thing, and you know, massive party was going on. There was mice dancing on chairs, <laughs> the mice on the old, old, old lawnmower. Do you know what I mean? There was, there was drink, there was food. They were having a fabulous time. It's like a Disney. Yeah, it was. You know, when you open the door and there's this noise, and then you shut it inside. It's Tomcat. It's Tomcat, exactly. I thought, this, I can't believe it. So I'd put some mouse traps in the shed, okay? Now, two days later, the mouse, our cat, came back through the cat door with half a mouse. I thought I was completely gone. I was completely taken down. I thought this is great. She actually called him out. I then discovered what she'd actually done is gone and leant underneath the shed and simply ripped the back legs off an already dead mouse in the mousetrap. But of course, we gave her extra food for a couple of days. She thought she'd absolutely cracked it. Well, anyway, now she's 17 and she is stone cold useless, okay? This morning, she caught a mouse. Came, I'm sitting there in my study working away trying to write. And I can hear a whining outside, making it a song of song dance, like, look at me, I've done something clever. I look out there, and, oh, you, stop it. <laughs> and, the, um, and there she is with a live mouse, right? She's brought the mouse up onto the landing. I then try and catch the mouse. She lets it go, and it runs into our bedroom. Oh, and then right. hides underneath a series of enormously heavy and unshiftable wardrobes, i.e. irretrievable. You cannot get the mouse back, OK? So my theory is... <laughs> Fraser, that I don't think mice can... Can they go upstairs, mice? I mean, it's a big jump, isn't it, each step? <laughs> so, if you think I, I about it, I don't th- think they can. They will have an alternative route, I'm Would sure. they have an alternative route? Because that mouse has been now transported upstairs and let loose in our bedroom. So oh, we just spent most of the afternoon moving little things. It would run out, and then we'd chase it, and then trap it in the corner, and then we'd jump... Claire at one point actually got hoover out and tried to hoover up the mouse. <laughs> it was quite funny, too. You're going to see a live mouse, hopefully, spinning round in the drum. That would be, but it's still, it's you still have at a large. Dyson. It's still at large. It's ghastly. I was once told that a mouse can get through the tube of a biro. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if but you can collapse <laughs> their skeleton. Yeah, if you can put a pencil through a hole, a mouse can get through. That's the thing. So that so makes you feel even better about it. I think Fraser's right. right. They're going to find an They're alternative. They're going to find it, but can they really climb upstairs? It's a big jump, isn't it? You think the stair is about five times as high as a mouse? Well, we had a cat for. Um, you know, 17 years. And, uh, and uh, you know, when we got, first got the cat, we got the cat neutered. And in those days, vets were guys that looked like characters out of James Herriot. Yeah. Or tweed jackets. Tweed jacket. And pipes and so forth. Yeah. And then cat got on fine for 17 years. And then got ill. So I took it down to the new vet down the end of the road. And I find that vets have changed massively. They're no longer the guys in the tweed suits. They look like Dr. Kildare. Exactly. They're wearing the white, they're wear, yeah. white things. And they pretty much say, what's your cat's star sign? Yeah, Before, they do. You know, exactly. And, and they examine the cat and tell me what was wrong. And I said... Give the cat an unnecessary injection and charge you £320 for it. I said, <laughs> I said, and it's the most stupid thing I ever said in my life, I said, is there anything you can do? Oh, God. Of course, the great truth with vets is, of course, the risk. Yeah, that's like As long as you've got money. Siphoned my bank account. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) So we had another two very expensive years. Oh, dear. So, you know, well, I I won't offer any advice. Their cat to an oncologist. I mean, it really is very, very peculiar, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we we have a mutual friend who rents a car occasionally to take the dog to the cancer specialist. Oh, Really? Unbelievable. I'll tell you who that is later on. No, no, I'm fascinated. <laughs> so, I've where got, are we? What are we going to talk I've about? I've got an agenda here. Yeah, go, go on, far away. Excellent. I've got an agenda. That Good. was just the opening. Oh, great, come on. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's all your various travels over the summer, because it's a while since we sat in Fraser's kitchen and uh, and had this kind of podcast. You, you've been to WOMAD? We went to, I went to WOMAD Did you go to Fraser. WOMAD with Fraser? Well, well, I was there. WOMAD with Fraser and two girls. Yeah. We had a great time, we didn't did. we? Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Really nice and sunny. We had the uh, Go and Fish Curry. Uh, we went on the Carter Steam Fair. Didn't I, we? Uh, I um, beat the coconut shy. Beat the coconut shy. We had a lovely time. Uh, no mention of music here. D- did we Was see a lot of music? <laughs> <laughs> see, I think that's the great know. truth. There was, the great truth. there was the Greek kitchen thing. Oh God! There was strumpets with crumpets. Is that the one? No, no, no. We we got a lot of fun out of um, strumpets with strumpets with crumpets. Uh, there was a stall. Sounds like we became cabbage. obsessed with this. There were these two really fabulous girls, weren't they? And they cooked square crumpets. Yeah. And they dressed as kind of you know bordello style tarts. I think you probably there's a clue in the title. That was their thing. And we became oh, we started inventing new franchises. Yes. Do you remember None what of they them were as good as the original. They weren't actually, were they? Do you remember what any of the other ones were? I can't. I think, yeah. Oh no. No. I forgot. <laughs> okay. 
But I think it's perfectly possible, isn't it, nowadays to have rock festivals with no rock in them at all? Because nobody's interested in the music at all. No, they no. just want an excuse to go in the field and have goat curry and you know and enjoy themselves. We did, yeah, look. they do, absolutely. So well, that's WOMAD. Latitude. Latitude, very good fun. But I was then. You were performing at I was performing at Latitude. It was fantastic. And I, you, have a, you have a packed tent. I had a packed tent. It was really terrific. Seriously? No, it really you was. Yeah, the literary tent, tent is properly packed tent. I mean, it's just rock festival. How big is it? They're not paying to come and see you. How many people? Is it like I a, would a say four man tent? 300, 320, something like that. 320 maybe. 320 people. Not that I'm counting. Maybe is it three pissing down outside. No, it wasn't pissing down. It's not chilly. But that did happen when I was at Cornbury. We were at Cornbury. We had some about a half-filled tent. We're nattering away, having a lovely time. And uh, and suddenly, just a huge quantity of people. I couldn't think what had happened. <laughs> it was wonderful. So, uh, you know, Latitude was great. And I, I sort of made a comment about um, my hometown, Fleet, Hampshire, where um, I uh, describing it as a place of skull-cracking tedium. And I said, I apologise if, if anybody was from Hampshire in the audience, you know, and somebody was. And there was somebody I hadn't seen for 42 years, Dave. Isn't that lovely? Really? Yeah, part of my little gang, a girl called Hilary Fryer. It was so nice. So she, you, and yeah, there's wonderful conversations. You, you haven't seen someone for 42 years. And she's, we just went and had a drink after to her and her husband. She said, um, she said well, I'm a grandmother twice. <laughs> and you think, wow, this is it's such a huge mental leap to go from, you know, the girl that was at the party, yeah, the yeah. barn dance in Church Crook. Oh, really? Now, yeah, now, um, now a grandmother twice. It was absolutely Were you doing wonderful. the twist with her in about 1960? Uh, yeah, it was a, a twist, I think, probably. What did we do? I don't Were know. you holding a Watney's Party 7? Watney's Party 7 for the dead wasps, exactly. <laughs> You're buying her a pony. <laughs> I buy her the drink oh, with a kick. The big drink with a little, the little <laughs> drink with a big kick, that's right. Yeah. No, so, so that was so good. Did you just spot her in the audience? Did you? Well, no, I said to everyone from Village, but oh, I say, and then she came to buy a book very kindly at the end. No, and that was lovely. And and I've also got a a, a theory about um, um, literary festivals, which I think I told you the other day, which is very interesting. If people come to (coughs) and they queue up and buy a book, which is so nice when they do, um, the person at the last person in the queue, Fraser, is going to be interesting. Because they're always last in the queue for a reason, and the reason is that they want to have a conversation. Yes, they want to have a conversation with you that's longer than just. Yes, you're my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's funny. (laughs) They they want to have a conversation that's longer than just you know having a chat and telling you about something funny that happened with them and Keith Richards, which is really terrific, you know. But they want if they that conversation they want to have would hold up the queue, and so at the end, it's always someone you haven't seen. You know, in school or whatever, it's fantastic. And, and Dave and I were doing a thing in Henley uh, Festival, it was about 10 day, days ago, wasn't it? And the last person in the queue, I'd, I'd been looking at him in the audience, I thought, I thought it was Eric Clapton, actually. A young <laughs> Eric Clapton. He had a beard, those big glasses. Because he lives there, okay. there and he's very bounced. Yeah, he looked like Eric Clapton, but frozen at the age of about 40. And at the very end, this guy came up and I said, Great, so who, who, who would you like the book? He said, To Nick. I said, Is that Nick with a C or Nick, the, the normal Nick? He said, Normal Nick. So I wrote out to normal Nick, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I asked him about the, the thing. I said, Was there anything? He said, I loved all that stuff you were talking about in the 80s, you know, Smash Hits time. I said, uh, Any particular memories of that time? He said, Well, one of them was when you interviewed me. And I said, Did on. He said, Nick Haywood. Haircut 100. I couldn't believe it. It was Nick Haywood. And, and unbelievably well preserved, and so delightful, wasn't he, Dave? Just yeah. absolutely delightful. And I, I also thought that he he was one of those people who seemed to have carved a very good little niche for himself. I reckon he's probably got some royalties coming in. I don't think he gets bothered when he goes into Sainsbury's. Um, I think he's kind of, and I don't know about him being in semi-retirement, but he's clearly not on the cutting edge of trying to get back in the game, is he? <laughs> I think he's probably had a really nice time. Didn't slip you a tape or anything. Is he still playing live? Or does he do those I think he does do occasional things. Tours? I think maybe he does those 80s tours. He might do it. It's possible. But that was interesting. So it's the last person in the queue. Last person in the queue. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You're say, yeah. yeah, you're my dad, I love that. <laughs> oh, so that's Latitude. And the third and final festival is End of the Road. Is that oh, End of the Road, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, another old mate of mine came along, uh, who I again to see for 30, 37 years. So it's all very exciting. Yeah, who lives in Dorset. And uh, End of the Road is brilliant. You go to these, you go to these wonderful um, kind of... You know, very like actually, they have literary tents in the woods. You know, in the in the, in the magic woods, oh, right. in the secret kind of um, you know Everglades up in the hills, kind of thing. And uh, it's just really good fun. Except that the, we were up against the main band. The main band came on sound checked at twelve o'clock, which made it impossible to talk. Well, you you were telling anecdotes about Adam and I was telling you in the background going two two two, two and I was two. exactly that yeah. 
And uh, oh, okay. So no, that's been it's been uh, it's been very good fun. Why does he say random things? Your room? Uh, I don't know. Your digital. That's why they're random. Right. Yes, oh, absolutely. Okay. That's why they're random. I I I, um, I asked on Twitter this morning if anybody got any uh, any questions that they like to put to the combined intellects gathered round the microphone in Fraser's kitchen. And if I can read my writing here, Graham Slate. If I got that right, Graham. And it says. The U2 album giveaway, has it helped them or harmed them? Oh, that's good. Oh, right. Well, God. Who's going first? Go on, Fraser. I, th- I think it's helped them, because they've made a whole big wedge of money. So what happened? Did Apple give them a huge yeah, wedge of money? So, uh, yes, I believe they're committed to a $100 million campaign to support the album, <laughs> which is a sizable amount of money. You mean that's in terms of... Promotion and, and advertising and, and all so that. So if you bought it, that's yeah. what it cost you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's given them under a million pounds. No, the thing that's interesting to me is that album, or the U2's last album, has sold as many copies in the UK since it's been released. Is now that's what I call music seventy-one did in its week of release. <laughs> <laughs> wow, gosh, is that a recent one? That's the reason now. That's what yeah. I call music. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't like the the way they've done this. It's like someone breaking into your home and. Leaving a something on the carpet. Well, no, they're not breaking. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that analogy because there are always perfect analogies for these things, like the one with the Radiohead record, which was kind of the honesty box. You know, I think the analogy. I don't think they're broken. I think it's just it's fly. It's leafleting. Isn't it? It's it's junk mail, isn't it? It's just comes through your letterbox. So it's come into your home. They haven't, nobody's broken in, but whether you want it or not is up to you. But I, I don't really know because I, I think I think the misunderstanding has been that a lot of people think that they kind of that they didn't do it in order to get into a negotiation which app, with Apple, which I think they did, because I'm fairly sure what they're trying to do is to work out a system with Apple where there is some kind of digital stream which ensures payment for the artists. And Bono has all sorts of theories about this, didn't he? This thing about Cole Porter. Did you read that or not? No. Oh, it's very interesting, because, I mean, he's saying that, you know, if you're, um, you know, performing artists, you know, if you're a band, you can go out and make money from playing stadiums like you too can, then clearly you're, you're making revenues. The people he's trying to protect, which I can't understand, really, um, are the songwriters. Because songwriters are, are not often, as he said, Cole Porter, you know, wasn't selling T-shirts, you know. Cole Porter wasn't coming to a, a stadium anywhere near you. So what he's trying to do is to get in, to have a negotiation with Apple in order to work out a fair system. And the way that they broached this was by saying to them, will you pay for us to have our up? I mean, they've done very well out of it. And actually, Apple, unless I'm entirely mistaken, are really investing in this because they've just bought Jimmy Iovine's uh, company, haven't they? Elect- what's well, it called? Yeah, they Electrical or Beats. 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 Beats Electronic. Oh, that's right, yeah. For $3 billion or whatever with his thing with Dr. Dre. So they're obviously trying to get into all that. But I think the misunderstanding is that Everyone just thinks it's YouTube kind of, you know, scamming, basically. Uh, but has it done them any harm? I don't know. It's just hard to, hard to tell them. I, I seem to be seeing them all the time. You know, I watch BT Sport and they're popping up, you know, in the middle of every football game or whatever with that, that same ad, which makes them ubiquitous and kind of annoying, you know. But the, the thing that strikes me about this is, how long have you two been going? Now? Well, this is it. I mean, it started in 1977, wasn't it? So, go on. How many years? Oh, what is that, Fraser? 37? 37 years. So, I mean, why should we be interested? I know, but... Why you, should exactly. anybody be interested in had the Beatles? Had the Beatles kept going for 37 nobody years? Nobody would, would care. Would you be interested? Nobody would Desperately trying to reinvent themselves all the time. I don't know. That's part of the disadvantage. And also, is it even a good thing that they're all still the four same guys. At least the Rolling Stones had its different uh, eras of soap opera. You know, you had Brian, and then you had Mick, and then, you know, there's Bill. See the old Uncle Bill, and he's gone. <laughs> you know, but I mean, at least that kind of added something. That was only quite a short period of time, actually. You know, that the, the kind of interesting life of the Rolling Stones is quite a short period of time. The rest of it's just the afterlife exploiting the interesting bit, re- referencing yes. the inter- interesting bit. Nobody is turning up at a Rolling Stones show saying, I hope Beijing, you're from Steel saying, Wheels. Are you going to do Continental Drift? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so disappointed they didn't do anything off. You know. I'll do Satisfaction instead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know, I know. It doesn't work like that, you no. know. And, uh, you know, so, so why, sh- why should we be interested? But I, th- I do think it's in- this, this free thing is very interesting because it's, it's so fine, the line between 
getting something pleasant for free and just getting something dumped on you. I'd feel the same way if uh, I'd had a £10 deposit in my bank account from them. I think they crossed a, a, a border of privacy. It's not like your letterbox, which is open to the world. It's my account, which is protected by a password, and the thing appears. Yes. Oh, okay. That's a good point. It is protected by a password. It's a very. But you good still point. had to download it, didn't you? Oh, you had to download it. Was it, to get, there. Yeah, it was there. You had to click it. Yeah. Oh, so no, if you didn't want it, you didn't download it. Yeah. But no. it was offered to you. Yeah. But few days later. But you downloaded it, Fraser, just so you could have the privilege of moaning about it. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> Quite rightly. Well, you know, I've had it for whatever three weeks or however long it's been. But it is. Uh, let's be honest. It is the. It is the furthest extension. From the, I know we always go on about this, but there's a first attention from that wonderful analog thrill of saving up yeah. money and getting on the bus. Yeah. And you know what I was talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But it's that whole idea that, that the more hard won the musical experience is, the more value it tends to have to you. And if it's literally handed to you on a plate and you're required to do absolutely nothing apart from press a button, then your your involvement in the whole process is so slight. It's it? also the, thing, the, the, the fact that why is it an album? Why is it 12 songs or 10 or whatever it is? Because you two are a band and they still because think Because that's what bands think of, yeah. even though there's no market for that product. They no, continue. but the, the album, I, I, I think it, it, the tour is always named after the album because if you don't have a tour named after an album, you are, a, by definition, an oldies act. You're a nostalgia act. If you're not, if you're not touring your front catalogue, I know you may only play no, one song from that record, but that's an excuse. If you two had given everybody one song that had been enormously popular, yeah. we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. No, that's because true. That would be a pleasure to us. Yeah, but they... That would be a gift to us. Of course, but Instead, then, what they've done is they've, they've given us their homework and asked us to read it and mark it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? The right comments they, in the market. They, they've switched the... Show you're working. It's sort of... You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, because here, yeah, is, absolutely. here is the public. That if, the, if one thing we know about the record-buying public... All of them is they don't give a hoot about albums anymore. No, they don't. They but do don't not you give think, a but don't These you guys think. over here are still producing them. Right, going, but Dave. Now, can you all stop having fun? Can you all stop doing whatever you're doing? Going to the cinema and playing with your computer games and reading a book or whatever? Come over here, because I've done an album. Yeah, and I think it's 45 a, minutes that you're never going to get back again. And he's worked very, very, very hard. hard. So can everybody fold their arms, sit up, and pay attention and but decide whether you like it? You know, but isn't it in the mindset? Of, no, but it causes me. I can't think of anything that's less pop music. No, that. I agree with you. But in the mindset of rock bands, I don't know if one song is considered substantial enough. If you've produced one single and then called your tour after that single, which is what you're desperately trying to promote, because let's say the single's been a Rihanna, big hit. that's how you go on tour. If you're because what is happening in the music business is that there are people who are selling enormous numbers of records, but they're selling them of individual tracks. And they're making fortunes, thank you very much. And they're selling loads and loads of tickets. It's only the bands left behind who still think that they can operate in the way that they did in the 80s and 90s. Are you saying that uh, you two are out of touch with pop and rock? <laughs> is, that, is that the damning allegation? I'm saying, I'm saying in the end, you know, your success is singles. Really, okay, because if you look at the big albums, well, it's not they're singles. all they all rely it's not singles. on singles. It's simply tracks, isn't it's it? Tracks. Everybody listens to a new album. If indeed they listen to the whole album, and all they're doing is just sieving this for the two or three tracks they're going to take off, download into their iTunes. Am I right? I mean, that's what they're going, and that's exactly the same way as Rolling Stones tour. But they're not even doing that because it is now a fact that how do. 17, 18 year olds listen to, to interact with pop music nowadays. It's not even with the iPod. It's on it's, YouTube. It's YouTube. Yeah. It's YouTube. And, no, and nobody apart from me goes on YouTube and plays, you know, somebody has transcribed some old Bobby Charles album or whatever off the, off the vinyl and listened to the whole thing. Nobody's doing that. The whole YouTube experience is four minutes. That's what I want. Then I switch to something else. Then I watch a goal. And then I... Absolutely. You know, watch a trailer from a movie. But if you think about it, the Rolling Stones make a new album. They're going to hope to get one or two tracks off that album into their set list. But if their set list can only, by definition, be whatever it is, two hours and a quarter, then in order to get that track on there, they're going to have to displace Let's Spend the Night Together. Yes. In which case, there's absolutely no point in trying. Because whatever else is in there is going to be stuff that we really, really want to hear. So, Graham, I don't think we've done... I don't think <laughs> Sorry, you Graham. Do. Yes. 
I don't think you two have done themselves any favours there. I think that's what the panel is saying. I think they probably are. Paul Paul Owens says, "Are there any instruments that, when you see them introduced on stage, make you want to reach for a revolver?" Uh, Yeah, the guitar. (laughs) Without a shadow. Oh, have I ever seen playing a guitar? How Jones? I think Nick Nick Kershaw. So any between a keyboard and a guitar. Any keyboard slung around you. Any sleeve around it is absolutely shocking. Um, I think growing up in rock, as I did, I I have an aversion to guitars without headstocks. Yes. And they're wrong. uh, Basses with extra strings. Yep. Oh, yes. Four is enough. Yes. Why are they wrong? They are. I was looking at a Genesis uh, documentary on on the BBC Two, was it or Four on Saturday night? <laughs> the, the BBC. <laughs> I think it was. And Mark, there was Mike. Can I just say, Mark <laughs> Allen just said the BBC Two. <laughs> what the BBC? <laughs> the BBC <laughs> Two. Was it on the home service? But I always or the light proof. I was. I was talking to Grace about it? the classic rock. I mean, you do. It's fair enough. But you know, Mike Rutherford was playing one of those guitars, and, and, and Bill Wyman used to play one. Do you remember? Yeah. Lou Reed played one. I can think of all the offenders. It must have offended me so much. I can remember these individuals. Shocking. Ru- a- Rutherford, quite amusing. Tony Banks, very funny. Did you see that program? I did. Yeah, it was yeah. a, a masterclass in passive aggression. Incredible. <laughs> was it, David? No, I didn't. This, this is the Genesis thing. Actually, I watched it because uh, two of <laughs> our pals are on it. Uh, Kate Moss and uh, Mark Billingham, both of whom played terrific performances, actually. But it was so interesting because the guy who didn't have... I'm allowed to say this. The guy who didn't have to make any effort because he's the superstar, enigmatic Peter Gabriel was by some margin at least interesting. Am I allowed to say that? Tony Banks, who I don't know anything about at all, was really funny and really sweet. There's a lovely bit where he's asked about Phil Collins. <laughs> because it is an incredible story if you think about it. You know, the group... And what are the chances? The group that has Peter Gabriel as the singer... Peter Gabriel leaves to have a successful solo career <laughs> and the rest of them have just as successful if not even possibly more successful career without it with the drummer singing so yeah. that's astonishing in itself isn't it and uh, and um, anyway uh, Banks is asked when F- Phil Collins then goes off to make what would have been in the air tonight about 1981 first, so first, yeah, he makes yeah. it uh, you know you can't hurry love it it was unbelievably successful records and he said well we all wanted Phil to do well he didn't want him to do that well. <laughs> it was really good. He said he was ubiquitous. He said ubiquitous in a word, really making clear what he meant by it. You know, ubiquitous for something like 19 years. You know, But anyway, I did think it was so funny that the one person, you know, where the camera lights on him, you know, they tried all those combinations of three or four of them in the room together to get some interaction going, which is a good idea and occasionally worked. You know, Phil Collins, by the way, very funny. Yes, he is very funny. Really funny and just he's kind of found his... Very likeable. He's found his own level now and he knows exactly how much he ought to send himself up and he's a very likeable guy and a very good memory. But when the camera alighted upon the great Gabriel, I, I felt that the kind of the, the, to use a terribly BBC expression, the energy levels began to sag. And really? Because he looked at, you know, as if, as if somehow just by being Peter Gabriel, we should be, we were in the presence of greatness. And he was going to say something of enormous gnomic significance. <laughs> and I was actually, I, I couldn't wait to get back to old Banksy again. Do you think he's one of, those, one of those people in rock that are secretly boring? I don't know so much about secretly. I mean, <laughs> no, you, make a, you make a really bad job of keeping this quiet, Dave. <laughs> there, there are certain people you, you, you kind of project onto them a, a mystique and a charisma that they very often don't have. And and if you look at them in a certain angle, you think, no, well, you're just boring. It may be why they got into that particular line of business in the first place. I've really got no idea. But it, I, I felt really bad because at one point, I mean, I like Genesis. I don't like them enormously, but I'm interested in them. I think they made some good records, you know. But when he started to talk about <clears throat> in that phase, where is the Lamelays down, down in Broadway? Where they, you know, all about the, the character that he's playing and the theatre that was involved. The costumes. 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 You start seeing a load of, to, to be honest, there's no other word for it. There's no nice way of saying it. Papier mâché. <laughs> <laughs> and, and huge kind of bird masks and things all look like they're made by um, you know some kind of work experience person and um, or, or, or a nine year old and it and, and it's all a bit I don't know it just yeah I, I, why shouldn't he take it seriously it's his work he wrote that and there he is talking about this enormously seriously I think he can't take this stuff seriously but people do talking of rock documentaries um, I find you know in my in my massive uh, effort to to you know immerse myself in 1971 all things 1971 I finally got round to seeing the the uh, searching for sugar man oh yeah from Fraser invented to documentary <laughs> yeah. which because uh, his record came out in 1971 yes another this is and uh, 
won an Oscar, didn't it, Fraser? This yes, name, yeah. best documentary. Well, no, I think it was nominated. And it I think it won. Ah, okay. Oh, I, maybe I may be. <clears throat> Can I just say what a load of rubbish? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. What? A load of inflated hogwash. And, you know, the the, the whole notion that this guy made a record and then, hey, he disappeared. Well, there are bits of the the story they simply do not tell. During the time that he was apparently uh, a big success in South Africa... He was touring in Australia and New Zealand. He was quite a big star there. Oh, that more than that. That bit of the story is completely ignored. Yeah, no, actually, it just doesn't fit the narrative. Exactly. More more than that, in Australia and New Zealand, because he's having the same kind of uh, cult um, reawakening that he was having actually in South Africa, maybe not quite as great, they actually re-released his records. I'm fairly sure that they were actually promoted. I think they did a deal with his record company and actually put the records out. Because this is the ridiculous thing, you know. If you're selling some records, somebody's going to put your damn records out, out aren't they? Yeah. And they're going to make sure you're, you're going to get paid. The yeah. collection agencies, it might not be as much as you'd like, yeah. but it'll be there. It'll find its way to you. The idea that people disappear like that is just a nonsense. But it's obviously what got the film made. Is, is Somebody must have gone to a distributor and said, tell you what, an amazing story about this guy. He made his record. He just disappeared. But there was a cult, and then he believed he had committed suicide on stage after a particularly unsuccessful performance. And guess what? He brought down apartheid. Yes, that's right. He ended all all war and famine. Distributor going, oh, great, I can see this, I've got the poster, I do all this. Right, go go off and make the film. And then they go off and make the film. And they just, just, you know, miss out anything that that interferes with their narrative. It's just nonsense. And it struck me, there's a bunch of films like this. And I saw... Again, my 1971 hat on. There's quite a good film about Paul Williams. Paul Williams, a songwriter who wrote We've Only Just Begun for the Carpenters and so forth, and was a very big deal in America in the, in the early 70s. And the first 15 minutes of the film is the director saying, I thought he was dead. And you think, I know he's not dead. And <laughs> Google I'm thousands him. Of just Google, Google him. <laughs> just exactly. <laughs> you know, you can't sit there in this day and age and pretend that, you know... Oh, how are we possibly going to find him? You know, pick up my phone now. I'll, you know, I'll tell you where he is. I can tell you what he's having for dinner, probably. You know, absolutely. It? But you could argue. Now, in defence of the, as I saw that um, uh, Sugar Man uh, film, and in fact, I was thinking about it the other day. So I was in the HMV in Bond Street, and they were playing that record. And why are they playing that record? Because he's back, Fraser. You started all this. Fraser wrote a terrific piece about it in, in, in Word. He's back, and he's playing the Royal Albert Hall in May. <laughs> Some disappearance. Um, I know. No, but I, you could argue that that's simply the narrow corridor of thought uh, that applies to solely to his relationship with South Africa. Which makes it a really good film. I mean, I thought the film was very good, actually. Well, they make the, I, I, I totally agree with you. They make you. the film as, as if it's fiction. Really, uh, exactly. It's a premise. Premise. Why is that any different from seeing, you know, what was that Doors movie? There was Oliver Stone made a movie yeah. about the Doors. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody listening saw that, but I mean, it wasn't terribly fantastic, although um, Val Kilmer, as it was pretty, looks pretty much like. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. But there's a bit where they go into the studio and they kind of write Like My Fire in about kind of three minutes. It all comes together and there's. Jim Morris, this running lyrics and kind of Manzarak, who's in fact the guy from Twin Peaks, isn't he? I can't his name that plays. And it all just finally comes together and he goes, Great, Jim, sing those words again. And it's kind of, you think, Oh, for goodness. And there's, there's a line of dialogue in it where somebody asks Jim, So, Jim, what are you going to do when the music's over? Yes! That's right, yes. <laughs> and the guy in the um, seat next to me was really frustrated with the film, shouted out, Have a bath! <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Are you the Lizard King, Jim? Because you can do anything. <laughs> oh, my Lord, that's terrible. So there's also 20 Feet from Stardom, which I haven't seen. That's very good. Is it good? Yeah. Everybody because says that is the everybody most fantastic tells me, film. Everybody, here we are talking about another. I meet people it. at you know, neighbourhood parties, and they say, there's a film called 20 Feet from Stardom. I think that's the one that won the Oscar. I think they both might have done. Anyway, uh, in different years. Uh, and they say True. to me, do you know, it's amazing. There's these singers in the background and they're really good yeah. <laughs> they might even think, be better than the lead vocalist it's possible well, of course they are <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
It's it's bloody obvious. You yeah. know what I mean? Have you been, have you been have you been watching these people for years on the television or going to gigs and never it's never entered your head that in the back there obviously is somebody who can sing better than the headline and are holding it together completely and and are vaguely resentful about the fact that they're at the back. Well, hello, show business. That's so, how come it on works. Okay, so that's interesting. So who are who are the Marcy Levy? I'm trying to think of people. Sam Brown? No, Sam Brown. No. Sam Brown. Who Sam were the backing singers who went on to be huge? That's a good point. Backing who were they? singers that went on to be huge. Well, people like Rita Coolidge sold quite a few records. Um, I don't know. Claudia Linnea. Linda Ronstrat was a backing singer? Don't think so. With the Eagles? Didn't she sing backing records with the Eagles? Well, that was later. That oh. would be later. Oh, is, oh hello. So these are so holding up something. These Go are on. two albums by two of the backing singers who appeared in the movie. Okay. Oh, Tata wow. Vega and Lisa Fisher. And can and I guess? Got are they really boring? <laughs> they're, they're dreadful records. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the story with both of these is exactly the same, in that they... Record companies realised that these extraordinary vocal talents and yeah. tried to make given records to do it and they couldn't do it. You know? No, no, it just didn't work. This is it. And I tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking about this today, and um, it, it struck me. It's like substitute fielders in cricket. You remember during the the great Ashes of a few years ago, where Ricky Ponting was run out by England's substitute fielder who they brought on while one of the bowlers went and had a lie down, and. And they brought the deal was we bring on a substitute fielder, and he's a brilliant fielder. He might not be able to bat, yeah. he might not be able to bowl, but he'll have the best arm on the field. You yeah, know? Yeah. If he needs someone the, to shy at the stumps, that's the, the guy. Absolutely, <laughs> that's the guy. Well, that's what these people are like. You know, if just being able to really sing could make you a pop star, they'd all be pop stars. Yeah, but they, they're, they're not just, so hot the choreography thing, or they're well, just no, it's, not made it's to look also, at all. We have, yeah. you know, there are more singers then we have room for So we choose a few of them. And I'm very sorry, we're not fair. You know, I'm not talking about critics here. I'm talking about the public. I'm talking about everybody. There's only room for a small number of successes. And so, sorry, there'll be a load of people at the back who feel that, that they didn't never got their shot at the front. But, but I think like, part, of the, part of the draw of this film, which here I'm saying this because I haven't, still haven't seen it, but, you know, both my sisters have seen it and they, they both said the same thing separately, which is just... You just wanted to be a backing singer. Mm. And it's interesting because they never said, I want to be a singer. They're both really good singers, actually. But they never said, I want to be a singer. But of course, a backing singer, you got all the fun of being on there, and you're wearing the interesting clothes, and you do the little movements. The little dance. The little oh, dance. Really? The little dance. And I then you do. just come in and you sing those little lovely little harmonies, and you know, you're just adding a bit of embroidery. But there's no real pressure. You're not carrying the show. But you're still on the bus, you're still on the tour. You can go back to a normal life. You're not having to live with the misery of being whoever the front person is. You know, I thought it's quite an interesting point. They said it's a very, very, very attractive position to be in, at the back and singer in the back. I've never seen this. Um, Mavis Staples do a thing at uh, the Barbican and looking her. She's her, promising. She is a promising. And one of her sisters, obviously, is doing backing vocals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wonder how the sister feels about. Oh God. For thirty odd years, forty years, standing well, there. It's like Aretha Franklin's yeah. sisters, Carolyn and you know, Irma and whatever. But I mean, they're on all historically, the Fraser. You know, um, I don't know. Dave Davis has surely never felt resentful of, <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of his brother Ray. You know, I mean, the Nofla brothers were best pals. The, the gangers. I don't they're, know. Just, they're coming back together again, aren't they, Ray and Dave? Are they? Uh, yes, they've been. They've been so Saying in the press, haven't they? Oh, really? Recently, that they're, uh, yeah, you know, everybody, you know, they all come back together again in the end. I think that was one of the questions that Lucas Hare actually asked. Lucas Hare, well, excellent. He said, "Now well, that we've seen Gap Kate Gap Bush Gap come back, and we've, I can't remember the other examples." He says, "What, are, what are the other, what are the other, you know, it will never happen moments in rock that might still happen?" Well, Abba is I, the big one, isn't it? Well, Abba's, Abba's a huge one. The yeah. Jam's the other Abba's one. The Smiths. No. Yeah. Abba would be a catastrophic guy. No, but it doesn't stop it being a huge one, though, Dave. Of course it won't that's, happen. That's the but, big, big But the point thing. is, if they said Abba are going to play, you know, a number of nights at the O2, then you had to put a, fig- a figure on, the, on, on what quantity of nights it would be. You just had to keep on going. Yeah. Honestly, you really would. I mean, I don't know if they can do 12 or something, can't they? But, I mean, Abba's huge. Well, there you go. So that was Abba. That's one thing that, you know, <coughs> Lucas, in answer to your question... ELO was the big one from this year. Right, OK. You see, I never think of ELO reforming because this is Jeff Lynne, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's Jeff Lynne and Bev Bevan. And, you know, not even Bev Bevan this time around. Oh, is Bev Bevan not, not, not in the group? No. Why has he fallen out? I don't know. 
It's him and his and a keyboard player, I think, from the original lineup. Because the one, uh, the one, obviously, that I always think of when these questions come up is the Jam. You see, it's the Jam, the Jam and the Smiths are the big ones, aren't they? The Jam and the Smiths, the, the <coughs> two big, two big ones. And who's to say? But didn't sorry. On the, on the, on the, I think we may have discussed this in podcast Passim, but surely Bruce Foxton met up uh, with. Paul at a funeral, didn't they? And they sort of made up and become quite good pals and been doing the old thing together. At which point, I think um, Rick Rick Butler <laughs> expressed his displeasure by leaving the Jam tribute group that he from, was in from the Jam from the Jam, which I think was his main source of income. In disgust, left that group. So he obviously feels quite strongly yeah. about things. Um, peculiar. Yeah. That's, that's the one, that's the one we're all waiting for. You're so, in front row, day, weren't you? Sorry? You'll be the front row, won't you? <laughs> yes, I'll be there. Big jam fan. Calling for all my favourites. Um, so, uh, what else we got to... Is there anything else, any other business that we need to cover? Uh, future Word in Your Ear uh, podcast recordings. We've got coming. We've got events coming up soon. Oh, yeah, come on. we we got... Uh, we got my darling Clementine and your mate... Um, Mark Billingham. Mark Billingham. Fantastic. At the ele- on the 11th of Oct... Excellent. Are we? No, it can't be right. Is that That's right? Monday. No. That can't be right. No, November. <laughs> Sorry. November's more like it. <laughs> November. November, great. Uh, and then a week later at the same venue, Danny Baker. Fantastic. Will we ever get a word out of him? Uh, uh, talking about his new book, uh, Going Off Alarming. Uh, and then on, on the 2nd of December, we're doing an evening of smash hits reminiscences. Fantastic, yeah. It's at the, also at the, at the Islington. Uh, further details will be uh, with you in due course. Um, and if, you, if this is the first time you've caught a word podcast, the place to make sure you, you subscribe and find out details is workpodcast.co.uk. Is that right? That's correct. And, uh, and, and uh, we're, we're going out for an Indian meal now, and Mark's going to join Twitter. That's what I've heard. I think I am. Apparently, Dave, you've tweeted that I'm going to join Twitter. Is that right? You told me that you. I said, oh, I'll help you do it now. You said, no, I'm too busy. You've made I'll a Skype call. Week. You've used WeTransfer. This oh, is, it's true. It's a big it's week true. for technology. It's a big week. It's a big week for the nation, Mark. It is. Uh, maybe I should do it tonight. But then again, that chicken tikka masala won't eat itself. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.